Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. And I also want to thank my listeners from around the world. Never, ever give up hope is now heard in over 70 different countries. And it is the message of hope that I believe the world wants to hear because of the feedback that I've been receiving, the comments, and all the interaction between my listeners and the and the show. It's been fabulous to know that the message of hope no matter where you are needs to be heard and needs to be shared my guests are people who have been in hopeless situations situations that a lot of us wonder if we would ever be able to cope with if we came into a similar situation and this is what builds hope in people to know that other people have gone through extraordinary circumstances that could have easily done them in, but they were able to overcome them and succeed. And that's what this show is about. Each one of my guests has tips and helps and an encouraging story. Today is no different. Today I have with me Janet Perez Eccles. Janet is an author, an international speaker, a radio host, a life coach, and the founder of JC Empowerment. She is a blind woman, and you would think she would be the last person in the world that you would expect to be dancing, let alone salsa dancing, but she teaches thousands of people of how to celebrate and see the best in life, no matter what you have had to encounter. Janet has authored four inspirational books, conveying the basic message that we were just talking about, how to turn a life of tragedy into a life of triumph. She can teach you how to dance the salsa, But more importantly, she teaches her grandchildren and each one of us on how to see with our hearts. When I read that, that really spoke to my heart, how to see with our hearts. And we will be talking about that today as well. But first of all, let's talk to Janet about her phenomenal story. Hi, Janet. Thank you, Carol. What a joy to be with you. And what are you going to share with us today? I think what I'd like to share, if you don't mind, is a little bit of inspiration and encouragement. But more than anything, I'd like to teach your listeners how to see with their hearts, how to be able to look beyond a negative situation, beyond a painful situation, and see the best of life. 
Is that okay with you? <laughs> Absolutely. That's what we want to hear. That's what this is all about. But first of all, I know that there was a time in your life that you said that you were about to take one more pill to end your life. And you've had to deal with some very serious issues, which included going blind, I believe, at the age of 31, the infidelity in your marriage, and the murder of your youngest son. I mean, just that alone should make most people just say, forget it, I couldn't cope. But we know that you didn't stop there. So let's start with the story of your son. Um, that story uh, happened um, about 12 years ago. Joe, our 19-year-old, youngest, he was the youngest and uh, very uh, much of an athlete. He was handsome and witty, and he was uh, the life of, of the parties, you would say, great sense of humor. And one night, we received a phone call late at night telling us that he had been wounded. And we just couldn't believe who could have wounded him because Joe was the captain of the football team. He was a leader, a leader of his um, team, not only team, but in school. Everyone loved him. And when we got the call, we rushed over to where the, they told us he was by then, the paramedics, and the ambulances were already there. And I wanted just someone to take me to him so I could hug him and say, you know, honey, mom's here. It's going to be okay. But they said, no, no, ma'am, you can't get near him. Why didn't you instead meet us at the hospital? So we rushed over to where they told us, waiting, waiting in the hospital waiting area. And finally, the doctor walked in and he said, are you the parents of Joe Ackles? And I jumped on my feet and I said, yes, where is he? What happened? When can we take him home? And that's when he told us that he had not survived the 23 stab wounds he had received. What? Oh, my goodness. Yes. And... And, you know, at that time, Carol, I thought, you know, these things don't happen to good people. That's right. At least, you know, you think, why? Why us? Why would this happen now? That was so unfair. It was almost like somebody was playing a bad joke on me. You know, this this just this happens to other people. And in the midst of my agony and my pain, I, I, I wanted to say to God, why did you turn against me? Why are you punishing me? Uh, and, and of course, all those confusing thoughts, mm-hmm. disbelief, shock, uh, my world just turned upside down. And of course, the same thing happened to my husband. He was devastated. Mm-hmm. Our other two sons, our parents, it was just a a dark, dark time. And, you know, when I look think back at that time, Carol, and I, I see the violence that we we hear in the news today, it's like, oh my, those people are going ex- going through exactly what I went through. And sometimes you do, as you said earlier, you want to give up because you don't think you could ever serve, go mm-hmm. on living with that pain, right? So how did you cope with that pain? Now you well, have the initial shock, and that of course would take time and have a major effect on your entire family. And then you had to find out why it happened and how it happened. And how did you handle that? Well, first of all, I I realized that I could not do it on my own. I had to have something bigger than me, more powerful than me, to, to help me through this. Mm. And and Carol, I had no other other way, no other resource that I knew but just to turn to God. Mm-hmm. And... When that happened, what changed was my heart, first of all. 
um, I received just a sense of peace, a sense of peace of knowing that even though I couldn't understand why why it happened, I didn't know how I was going to cope with it. I knew that God did. And so what I did, in essence, is those nights that I just couldn't sleep thinking, I can't believe my son is no longer with us, mm. I, I would turn to God and just cry out and, uh, and expect that he would help me. And you know what he, he did? First thing that filled my heart was a sense of peace, mm. and that peace turned to comfort. And what a beautiful thing it was, Carol, because I remember thinking, I'll never be able to be happy again. How could a mother ever feel peace? Or, or I could mm-hmm. never laugh again. You know, all those things that I didn't think I could ever do because my life had changed forever. And that seeking an answer, I did truly receive a peace that uh, uh, that helped me see that, yes, I can make it one day at a time. I would only take it one step at a time. And as it happened, what I did was kind of a strange thing. At that time it happened, I was writing my first book. I was almost finished with it, and I thought, after that tragedy, I thought, I don't even want to think about writing. You know, the last thing you want to do is finish a book. And then I heard of another mother who had just lost her son. He was run over by a vehicle, and she was devastated, and she was truly angry. And she had lost as you said earlier in this in the show at the at the beginning, you said she how we lose hope. That's what she did. She lost hope mm-hmm. and she turned to bitterness. And she said, "I will never stop. I'll the, the day I take my last breath, I'm going to get even with those police uh, men that didn't come to my son when really? he needed it." And that's when I realized, no, there's a better way. There's a different way. And that's what prompted me to finish writing the book. And in that chapter, I related what it was like, how hard it was to go and have to look, you know, choose a coffin for your son when you should be choosing, you know, the the, the place he's going to get married or a right. tuxedo. Here I were choosing what coffin and what, oh, you know, the, the funeral arrangements. And I thought that was so unfair. But I knew that there was... Another path to this, yes, the tragedy was there, the heartache, the pain, but there was an answer. And so, like I said, when I saw this this woman, I thought, I need to write this book. People need to hear that there is peace after tragedy. And with God, there is no tragedy that doesn't turn to triumph. Because I felt like I, I had the victory because of that from that sense of helplessness from that sense of a stage of desperation or hopelessness, I once again had hope. I once again had peace. And so I did finish writing the book. (laughs) Now, which book is this? That one is my first one titled Trials of Today, Treasures for Tomorrow, which is in essence pretty much my story from the moment I came from Bolivia to the United States. Okay. So that's your memoir. Uh huh. Trials of Today, Treasures for Tomorrow. Okay. And that was your first book. And we'll talk about the other ones in a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. So, how long did your healing process take? And at what did you ever have bitterness towards this man that did this? And what tell us about um, what you went through in that regard and how you coped with that? Well, the man. Um, who stabbed Joe 23 times, had gone home with a scratch in his cheek, and uh, that was it. 
of course, there was just a sense of disbelief. Why would he do that to my son? And there were temptations of seeking revenge and just mm-hmm. making sure the man's punished um, for taking the life of my son. But I think you asked me when, when the healing truly took place. I think it, it took place maybe a few months after Joe died. Really? That quickly? Yes. Yes. And let me tell you why. When we got home, my husband and I resorted to praying. We never stopped praying. So one of those nights, my husband said to me, you know what we haven't done is we haven't forgiven this man hmm. because we don't know if God forgives him. Why shouldn't we? And it, it was almost like he was reading my heart. And we chose it that, that night to forgive the man who killed our son. But we didn't forgive him just saying it. or We forgave him genuinely and completely. We haven't told him in person. But if he were to be in our presence at any time, we would tell him, we do. We do forgive you because... God first forgave us. That was the point, Carol, where I think I was truly set free, and so was my husband, because those bars of resentment, anger, and bitterness that could have held us prisoners, they broke down and set us free. That's what obviously allowed me to continue writing and traveling and speaking. There was a moment of of freedom. Was there a uh, trial? There was a trial. Yes, there was. A year after... This happened, the man responsible was tried in a, and the trial took three days. And that was a really tough, tough time for me because I had to listen to the medical forensics description of each of his stab wounds. Oh, and my goodness. The awful thing, that how, the awful details of that night, how they, he and the other man had pulled into a 7-Eleven parking lot. They had gotten out of their cars. And, of course, my son didn't know the other man was armed with a knife. So I had to endure all that. But I would just, you know, as, as had always been my habit, and just pray for, for strength because mm-hmm. we had to see uh, vengeance. We had to see the, the, the rest, just punishment. Um, he had to be paid for what he had done. At the end of the third day, the jury was ready with their verdict. They asked us to walk in the courtroom and we stood to our feet. I held on to my husband's hand and my heart was just beating. And I kept thinking, finally, justice will be served. Mm. And we held our breath and the verdict read, we find the defendant not guilty of all counts. Why? We were stunned. Here in Florida, there's a rule, there's a law that says, if you feel like your life is threatened, you're justified to kill the other person. So the man fled self-defense and he oh was set free. That was the point where, you know, we had to go home and just pick up the pieces all over again. It was almost like they took them from us once again. So that's how it happened. <laughs> and uh, it's now that I look back 12 years, 12 mm-hmm. years later, I I think, you know, it's it's such a, such an opportunity for my husband and I to be able to yes. minister to so many who are going through the same tragedy, you know, right in where we live in Orlando and other places. What about his siblings? And initially, they wanted to just take revenge. They were angry. They were bitter. They were just wanted to lash out. And that was another thing that I needed, my husband and I needed to, of course, to make sure to calm them down, knowing that that wouldn't help things. And um, as a result, uh, my oldest one um, 
did have um, get to the point where his faith is much deeper in God and learn to lean on him. My second son, I think, may be struggling a little bit, but he's accepted it. Um, our boys were so close; they loved each mm. other so much, and it was it was difficult. Uh, but you know, both of our sons, the older two, um, are doing actually well. Thank God. So that's good. That's good because mm-hmm. that's another thing that the parent has to usually deal yes. with and cope with, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now we'll switch gears for a minute and talk about what happened to Janet when you lost your eyesight? What happened to Janet was something quite unexpected. Here I was, 30 years old, a happy mom of a three, five, and seven-year-old little active little boys, and a retinal disease called retinitis pigmentosa began to to close in my vision from the sight. And Carol, in a matter of 18 months, it closed in completely. My word. Yes, even though my husband and I try to go to ophthalmologist, specialist, um, acupuncture. In fact, we, there's nothing we didn't try right. hoping that we could stop the progression of the disease, but they kept telling us there's nothing, there's no transplant cure or anything that's available to help me. And sure enough, in 18 months there, I was completely blind and devastated and angry and quite desperate, wondering how could I ever face life not being able to see because the prognosis was is that there is no hope there's nothing that could help me and that's in both eyes that's in both eyes correct mm-hmm. so uh, at that moment I, I just felt like again <laughs> that God was punishing me I didn't think I deserved that I thought I was a good person I was um, you know a good mom and wife and uh, even though I I had asked God to to allow this progression to stop, he didn't uh, make it happen. So I felt like God was just not there anymore. He was someone distant who care and didn't care for me. So all those feelings were going through my mind, and but I had to take care of my little boy still. And then my husband, of course, same age, about thirty-one. He, it was traumatic for him. He he married a healthy young yes. woman. Yes, and now he was married to a blind person. So he came home one day and he said, um, I can't go on with our marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I have somebody else in my life. So that that trauma of finding myself completely blind, the rejection from my, rejection from my husband was a very dark time in my life. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, But I had to keep going because my little boys needed me. I was afraid someone would come in and say, lady, you're blind. You can't take care of these boys and take them away from me. So somehow I would just feel my way through the kitchen and fix their sandwiches and take care of them and uh, did the best I could. But inside I was just dying. I was devastated. I was bitter. I had a lot of uh, fear of living my the rest of my life like that. So pretty much I was a mess. <laughs> what point did this change? Now your husband is just announce this to you. You're Mm -hmm. coping with this trauma that is unlike what most people would ever have to deal with and losing your your eyesight with three small children. Unbelievable. You're feeling rejected. You're feeling anger. You're feeling all those emotions that you're going through. At what point did that change and how did it change for you? What happened is one of those days that I was just about to give up 
Um, and of course, I didn't want my little boys to see me crying, so I would do my best to put on a good face, but I was just, just destroyed inside. A friend called me up, and she invited me to a Christian church, <clears throat> and that's where I was introduced to, to the Bible. Okay. And um, the Bible is where I heard God's promise that said that if we sought him first and sought uh, him above all, that he would add everything else to our life. And I had never heard that before. I'm sure I might have, must have heard the message mm-hmm. and going to church all my life, but I never heard it you know, in that way. And see, at that time, what I was seeking first is to be able to see again. I wanted mm. to be normal. I wanted my marriage back. That was number one for me. So when I heard that particular verse, it kind of shook me a little bit and realized that I was doing it all backwards. <laughs> I was thinking something that I wanted, that I thought I needed, but God was telling me to seek him first. And that was the beginning, Carol, for me to be able to recognize that there is something bigger than my blindness. There's something more important that I can accomplish. There's a purpose still in place, even though I didn't, I wasn't able to see and um, one by one, uh, those things that he promised that he would add in my life, they came to be. And the best thing I think that happened is that the sense of peace filled my heart and also confidence. I wasn't that hysterical young woman mm. begging my husband to stay and just, you know, a mess. I was more confident, more secure in who I was because I had a purpose now. And God had said in the Bible that, that he had plans for me. And so I think my husband saw that in me. He saw mm. I was different. Interesting. And so, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he came home one day, and, you know, this weeks later, and he said, I made my decision that I'm going to leave everything else behind, and I'm going to dedicate myself to you and to our boys. And that's when we made the, I made the decision to, to tell him if we're going to make it together, we're going to have to pray together, learn to do that. And we did, and we just celebrated 40 years of being married. At what point did you learn to cope with your blindness? And actually, I understand that you actually teach women in one of your books how to cook as a blind person. So how did this, how did this all transpire? Um, it transpired, I think, um, in stages. Uh, first, I was very um, focused on taking care of the little boys, cleaning the house, doing the laundry, learning to cook, and just to do everything else so differently that I did when I was sighted. So once I pretty much got the household tasks and chores pretty much done, um, someone introduced me to to a new technology. It's a regular computer with a software that reads the screen. So I began to write and that was really a, a, a op- what opened a new world for me. And uh, I was able to communicate and to read what it was. Um, it reads me the screen. So if someone sends me something, a book online or a word, um, I'm, I was able to read and I'm able to read, of course, now. So it became um, my blindness didn't, didn't end up being that horrible obstacle or limitation in my life. It was inconvenient because I couldn't get in the car and go shopping and go grocery shopping like I used to do. But there was really little that I couldn't do, even though I couldn't see. With the computer, I you know could do email, I could do so much, and I could teach my boys in the very same way. So I decided what I would do is with my sons, I would teach them instead of being poor mommy, can't see. It's like, even though I can't see, we're still going to get things done. There's a way to to make things happen. There's a way for you to go, 
go to soccer practice. I'll just call a friend to pick you up. And I think that became a, in disguise, a big blessing <sighs> because they grew up knowing that there could be something, an obstacle could happen in life, but we can overcome it. And even though we have limitations, you know, God gives us a way to, to do them, to go beyond them and accomplish sometimes much more than we could ever dream. And that's what happened to me. He opened up, a, God gave me a career as a Spanish interpreter. So I would take the white cane, take a cab, and I would be interpreting for court proceedings. And after that, he presented an opportunity for me to interpret out of my home. So I've been doing that for 25 years, and I've been very blessed to have received all kinds of awards for the work that I'm doing. And that was enough. I then, as I said, began to write uh, books, articles, and all kinds of stories for Chicken Soup for the Soul, for Guidepost Magazine. And then someone one day asked me to share my story, and they were very touched, and they asked me to say it again, and they invited me to this place and that place, and that's where the speaking ministry began and I started to to travel across the country and travel to other countries. Now people always say, now Jenna, who travels with you? And I say, I no one travels with me. I, I do that by <laughs> myself. <laughs> and so you see, Carol, my, my life was became so rich, so abundant, so beautiful that right now some friends say to me, Jenna, you know, I keep forgetting your blind. I said, you know what? I do too. <laughs> That's interesting and amazing. But it's all perspective, isn't it? You know, you said it. How do we view our circumstances has so much to do with how we deal with them, whether we're going to reach success or continued sorrow. Yes, it's true. I can't see my surroundings, but there's so many other ways that you can see with your heart, uh, with your passion. And, uh, you know, I, when I do my Cooking in the Dark um, series, People always say to me, Jenna, I can't believe you're chopping like you do. You don't, <laughs> you don't cut your fingers. And and the truthfully, Carol, I don't think myself as blind. I just think I'm having fun preparing all these healthy dishes for my viewers. So it's how you view what your circumstances. You can't hide the fact that I'm blind. For example, in my case, but does, is that going to stop me from doing all the things that God wants me to do? I don't think so. And, uh, you know, that I do crazy things sometimes. I, I go parasailing. I even drove a car not long ago. <laughs> Did you drive a car? <laughs> oh, my friend. She said to me, well, she's going to move her car from one part of the parking lot oh. to the other. She says, do you want to drive it? And I said, yes. She thought I was kidding, and I thought she was kidding. Well, she wasn't. Well, neither was I. So I put the key in the engine, and we went, and... We had to go around into the street. I could hear the traffic coming on my left side. And she said, just keep it straight. Keep it straight. And I did. And she said, you have to give it a little gas. I said, no, 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 Brenda. I'm not giving it gas. (laughs) And she says, you have to because we're going up a hill. And I did. It was like, oh, it was a wonderful feeling. I hadn't driven 25 years. It's a and good I thought, thing a cop oh, didn't if I, stop you. I, if the police stopped me, they would have said, ma'am, your license. I would have said, oh, officer, I don't have a license. Why not? Well, uh, I'm blind. <laughs> they wouldn't let me. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, you might have been locked up. <laughs> I think so for being crazy. but you know, That's amazing. Just, no, yeah, attitude, so attitude, 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 yes. right? Absolutely. <laughs> now, you said that you have a show 
uh, cooking show? Cooking in the Dark. It's a video series. Okay. Yes, I prepared dishes. Well, and... everybody's got to watch that. That we yes. definitely have to. We have to see that. I mean, and you it... know, I have three rules for those shows, Carol. My, okay. One of them. My three rules are these: everything I prepare has to be nutritious delicious and so simple to prepare you can fix it with their fix them with your eyes, eyes closed. closed oh that's too good i like that <laughs> now you said that you were going to share with us how to see with your heart can you elaborate on that a little bit oh that is the biggest blessing for me well that is one of the most beautiful things i think about not being able to physically see and that is when i meet someone for the first time for example when I was sighted, I would say, oh, my goodness, what's with that hairdo? Or I would say, oh, goodness, I, I killed to have that outfit. You know, distracted by their looks. Mm-hmm. Now when I meet somebody, Carol, I love them for who they are. I see their heart. And to me, they are all beautiful to me. And I think I am so glad that I don't have to be distracted with physical appearances, but I see the person for who, who they truly are. So I see people with with my heart and it's much prettier <laughs> it's a more beautiful scenery and that's what I do with my grandkids too I teach them to see with their hearts to look at people's goodness mm-hmm. do you ever like with your grandchildren do you ever for fun or whatever have them close their eyes and try to do things so that they can understand I don't have to do that they do that on their own isn't Man, that I'm interesting gonna... <laughs> yes I'm gonna do that I'm gonna pretend you're you and of course, when they try to do it, they hit themselves and say, right. "Oh, I can't do it." Uh, and I, speaking of my little ones, when when they were smaller, when my grandkids were smaller, I used to tie a little pin, a little some bells in the back of their little shirt because that way I can keep track of where they yeah. were. And I used to watch them. But yes, I think they have a sense of appreciation. They don't say, "Oh no, Nana can't do that. She she can't see." Mm-hmm. And instead, so the opposite, and they say, "You know, Nana, teach me how to do this, and come read with me." And they read to me, and I write books for them, and they read those books. So it's a really rich uh, relationship that I'm I'm hoping that they are learning about life, not to let any obstacle or limitations get in the way of doing great things. That's an incredible life lesson, and I think it also helps children not to judge. Because that's one of the things that they seem to do, you know, in the early years, uh, make fun of other kids who might not be as fortunate as they are. But to come from an understanding of there are those that have obstacles and it's no fault of theirs. And yes. is there is that do you ever have those kind of conversations with them as mm-hmm. well? That's probably one of the most important things that they have learned on their own. And they um, in fact, they tell me, mommy. Uh, Nana, they said one time. My granddaughter said, "There's a there's a little girl there in our school, and her arm can't move, and people just look at her." But I I went and I told her I want to be her friend and I want to help her. Mm-hmm. And developing that compassionate, yes. understanding yes. heart in children is so so important. Uh, and you know, with me, they know that they need to help me walk if we're in a strange place. Mm-hmm. They're very conscious of that. Uh, they don't just run off like most children would, unaware, but they're very uh, yeah, aware of that man and needs help. I don't have to say, no, honey, come here and help me. They automatically do it. And what a beautiful thing, right? To teach their yes, children to be. Absolutely. Uh, 
Yeah, we need more of that. Yes, a salsa dancer. Okay, (laughs) were you a salsa dancer before you went blind, or did is this something you learned after? That's one thing that had ne- has never left me, Carol, and that is the desire to dance. The Latina in me, mm. whether I can see or can't see, <laughs> I have danced everything you can think of, from flamenco to salsa. Um, when I was young, I used to teach belly dancing, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yes, all dancing is in my blood, absolutely. And if someone is a good leader, I can dance, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So is your husband a good leader? Uh, no. <laughs> so you He's have to my... find a partner when you go dancing. Is That's that it? That's right. No, no. <laughs> He's my sweetheart. He's, he's you know, true blue uh, gringo. He's an American. And so he, he doesn't have that little, but he's the sweetest and best husband in the world because what he does sometimes he goes to the dance store. And I didn't realize this, but I would be just dancing my heart. And he was just standing still moving his arms. But he'll never say to me, no, let's not go dancing. Mm-hmm. I want to. The minute I say I do, he's right there to take me. So that's cute, right? That's right. Exactly. That's what partnership is all about. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. God healed our marriage in such a beautiful way. and That is very um, obvious. Yes. It definitely is coming across that way. Mm-hmm. Now, you said that you found reason to celebrate life in spite of trials, and that's essentially what we have been talking about. Anything in particular that you would like to reiterate some of the things that you already said and how, in fact, we can do that? I know attitude is huge, and we've talked about that. Is there anything else? Yes, Carol, thanks for asking that question. I wish more people would. In fact, just now I'm preparing a presentation I'll be giving to um, a conference of women, and the topic is how to be strong and courageous, especially now. How do we become strong and courageous to be able to see life differently and truly enjoy and celebrate life? And I'm not talking about celebrating life when, oh, everything is working out perfectly, all my bills are paid, my husband's a wonderful person, and I don't have a worry in the world. I'm talking about celebrating in spite of those adverse moments and those episodes of pain. How do we celebrate life? And I think that the main Uh, point would be is controlling our thinking what kind of thoughts come through our mind the first thing we when we first wake up are there thoughts oh my goodness oh that's right today I gotta do this or oh my bills aren't paid or my kids are not doing the right thing or my job or my house or whatever or are those thoughts of thank you God that you gave me one more day thank you that I have the opportunity to make a difference even in a small way and thank you that whatever comes my way, God is going to me, help me get through it. So that's how you learn to, to celebrate life. Now, of course, all of us, all of us face tough moments and glitches and sometimes setbacks. But I always like to play the game as I do with my grandkids. Let's play the what if game. Mm. Whatever situation you're facing, what if we thought of it being much worse? All of a sudden, what you're facing doesn't seem it's bad. We start thinking, wow, this is all I'm facing. This isn't so bad. In fact, it's good, and I know I'm going to get through it. So to celebrate life means, first of all, learning to control your thinking. Get those negative thoughts, thoughts of self-pity or limitations out of the way. Have positive, good thoughts. And second, learn to be grateful, grateful for what you have. 
there's been a study, a clinical study that they said when some folks with high blood pressure were asked for five minutes to think only of things they're grateful for, and they found their blood pressure begin to, to drop. So it's, it's a huge thing of how to develop a spirit of gratitude. And maybe that's kind of what I do so often. And, that, and that's how I can celebrate life in spite of tragedy, in spite of blindness or disappointment in life. I think God gets, has given me a, a rich life of learning to celebrate and teaching others how to celebrate it. That's why one of my titles is Simply Salsa, Dancing Without Fear at uh, God's Fiesta, because mm. I teach them how to conquer fear and just begin to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Three steps to live by. Control your thinking. Replace the negative thoughts with positive ones. Be mm-hmm. grateful. Find something to have gratitude for because of all the things that we do encounter in our lives is to try not to think on those things, but along with controlling our thinking and thinking positively to also find something to be grateful for. Because no matter what you're going through, you can find find something to be grateful for. And then the third thing, to conquer fear. And any other thoughts on that? Well, fear is the emotion that's at the bottom of all negative emotions. If you're angry, if you're worried, if you're anxious, you have to stop and think, why am I feeling this way? What am I afraid of? And uh, the reason how I learned that firsthand was when I um, had to begin traveling by myself um, people I would say, how can you go to a place you've never been to before? You don't know the people are going to pick you up. You can't see. How can you travel by yourself? And I had to conquer the fear of the unknown in my case. Because if I hadn't done so, every time I travel, I would be anxious. I would be worried. I would not be, it would not be a pleasant experience because I had not conquered the first thing. And that is fear. So with fear conquered, it's amazing what heights you can climb, what success you can reach, and how many places you can go. And that's essentially what I teach in my coaching and also in my books. How do we overcome that fear? How do we conquer it so we can have that richness of life that God has prepared for all of us? And um, that, that's huge. And especially now, huge. a lot of yes. people are fearful. Mm-hmm. This is something that you address in which one of your books? In Simply Salsa, okay. Dancing Without Fear, God's Fears. Then the other book, um, Contagious Courage, I teach you how to live without stress and anxiety. Well, Janet, this has certainly been inspiring to say the least. And considering what you went through, the way I look at what you told me is that you are excited about everything in life. You are excited about what tomorrow brings, what today yes. is bringing, and yes. you don't have your fear mm-hmm. of that is gone because you have gone through so much trauma, emotion, and negativity in your life that you have not only learned how to cope with it, but also through that pain, teach others on how to cope with their struggles. And so that's exciting and you get excited about it. And that comes through loud and clear. And I appreciate that. You are infectious and that, that is attitude. And definitely we learn how to change our attitude. We change our circumstances and that's Mm -hmm. what you are teaching. So I appreciate your thoughts. I appreciate what you shared. We are going to definitely uh, look into your books. They're going to be up on 
your on the show notes for this broadcast and I thank you. I thank is there any call to action that you would have anything that you want to encourage your listeners to do? Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me to do that, Carol, for sure. What I'd love to do for your listeners is um, offer them a free gift. Okay. And that is the first chapter of Simply Salsa. And I get the feeling they'll be hooked by one on Amazon. It's uh, all they have to do is just go to www.giftfromjanet.com. That's super easy. Giftfromjanet.com. And they click there. And there it will be. And I think they're going to really like it. It just came, we just put it up not long ago. So it's ready and available for them. So I thank you, Janet. It has been great. I really appreciate you sharing what you did today. And we look forward to sometime down the road hearing from you again. Oh, I hope so, Carol. It's a blessing for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.